Welcome to Season 3, Episode 1 of Merendeando! We are back. We are. I'm Camila Diaz Varela. And I'm Monica Garrido. And we're so happy to be back for another season. Let's dive right into it. So to start the season, we have an amazing, amazing, amazing artist, Ophira Kalef. She is a multi-award winning disabled writer, performer, and producer based in Toronto. Yeah, and you might remember her from last season when we featured her show Literally Titanium at the Next Stage Festival that was happening in January. From that show came a really incredible initiative called Crip the Script. Crip the Script is an initiative that's meant to challenge, reframe, and reclaim language, systems, stories, and stages to center Crip or disability identities and experiences. We're going to talk a lot more about that in the episode. Thank you for being back with us. Sit back, relax, and have a listen. Today, we're here with one of our favorite people in the world because we had her last season, but we said we need more. We definitely need more. We always need more of Ophira. The conversation that we had last season with you was so interesting, and we feel like we were talking afterwards. We feel like we just started to scratch the surface of some of the really interesting topics that came up. So thank you again for meeting us and uh, being on the show again. Thank you so much for having me and for uh, coming to my apartment with food. You're the absolute best. (laughs) Yes, we went Tex-Mex today, so we have some burritos from Citeca. Shout out to all our Chicana friends, Chicano Chicana friends. You're great. We have barbacoa burritos, chicken burritos, and a veggie burrito. Wow. Yeah. Cool. So let's dive into our first topic here. There's an initiative called Crip the Script that you are very involved in. Can you describe kind of how that initiative came to be? Yes. Um, It kind of evolved through the process of developing uh, Literally Titanium, the show, and now has kind of moved beyond it. Um, As we were developing the show throughout, like from very early stages of production, as a team, we were kind of thinking about how Um, how we were going to structure the process and sort of what it meant. I kept saying things like uh, that I wanted to create disability theater as opposed to accessible theater, Um, not creating something that uh, exists in a specific normative framework, but finding a new way um, to create theater that really centers disability. And we kind of developed the phrase Crip the Script, both because it's uh, fun to say, um, and also the idea of cripping or kind of centering that disability um, culture and experience in every part of the process, from uh, how we scheduled rehearsals to how we actually develop the script and also to the audience experience and the actual content um, of the show itself. So can you just say a little bit more about the difference between accessible theater and disability theater? Like, I'm understanding that with disability theater, you're centering disabled artists and narratives, but also the audience, too, like all of it. Yeah. Yeah, just curious. Yeah, I mean, it's something that uh, I'm still kind of developing in my own brain a little bit. But I find that often um, that there's a little bit of a difference in between a show that's been uh, developed in sort of a a more typical or normative um, way, and it's a show that exists, and then you kind of look at the show afterwards, 
um, once it already exists and think like, well, how can we make this accessible? How can we um, include more people, more audience? Um, which is a wonderful thing. It's a beautiful thing. Um, but it kind of makes a lot of the um, quote unquote like accessible features feel tacked on or like afterthoughts. Um, and it makes it feel like they're not central to the art itself. They're adaptations of an existing piece of theater or of art. Whereas what we were really trying to do with the idea of disability theater and cripping the script was to not have any of these things be adaptations or add-ons, but have them be central to the production itself. So in how we wrote the script, um, our, our lighting, for example, like as we developed the show, we knew that we wouldn't have any um, sudden lighting cues or any snaps to black that we were creating an aesthetic um, to be a bit um, a bit more inclusive on a sensory front. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the way that we like integrated into the script, I personally, as a disabled performer, had rest breaks um, and time to get water. So none of it was like, oh, we had a show and then we altered it. Um, but the whole process of building the show was within that framework. And you did this on the literally Titanium. Can you talk about how the audience reacted to this? Yeah, um, it was super interesting, uh, the audience reactions. After every show, we had a talk back, um, which initially I was a bit nervous about because I was like, oh, I'm going to pour my heart out on stage for an hour and then uh, talk about it. <laughs> um, but it actually, the talkbacks ended up being really beautiful, um, really great experiences where we kind of collectively debriefed on how we all were feeling before going out into the cold winter. Um, and the reaction from a lot of people was um, really, really beautiful and encouraging. There's a moment in the show where I tilt back in my chair and just take like a three minute rest. Um, It's not an intermission. We really consciously made sure that it wasn't an intermission because we wanted to sort of all have a moment of collective rest essentially and signaling that it's okay to take care of what our bodies need in that moment. And every night the audience reacted differently to that moment. Uh, some nights I'd say like, I'm going to take a breather, like you do you. And immediately everyone was like, okay, great. <laughs> like out come the phones, we're chatting, we're going uh, to the washroom, which was lovely. Um, and then some other nights I'd say it and people would kind of laugh a little bit uncomfortably and I could sense them kind of shuffling and being like, is this for real? Like, is this actually <laughs> happening? What's going on? Um, but every single show, there was always a moment where you almost felt like this collective exhale come over everyone that they were like, oh, wait a minute, this is happening. And like, just sort of this collective release of tension. And so most of the talkbacks, we got some really beautiful, positive feedback about that moment and about kind of the reflection that happened in it, which was very encouraging. That's cool. I remember when I saw it, I was... It also took me definitely like a minute to just understand what was happening because it's not often that you get a rest in a show at all, that the performer is resting 
in front of you in a way that I have never never seen before. Like you really to describe for people, you uh, raised your chair up and then leaned back. So it was like you were higher than we regularly were seeing you in the show. And it was just like so beautiful actually to watch you just take your moment. So I was like, this isn't performing. It's not, it's not performing. They're just resting. So then I get to rest too. Something that I remember also from your show when I saw it is you were talking about uh, EDS, uh, Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. And yes. you're explaining how um, when you start getting diagnosed or not diagnosed, because, yeah. And you were talking about something so hard, but it was so funny. Mm. I was like, ah, oh, ha, ha. <laughs> like, it was this weird way of like, I, I know it's okay to laugh. Everything felt welcome. Uh, your whole show felt, felt welcome and, and, and soft and, and nice and, and it was okay to have all these feelings. So I don't know, thank you for creating this type of theater. Uh, I also was, when I went to see it with somebody who was not having a good day mentally and I think it was amazing that we went to see your show that day because that person was actually like, I'm okay. I felt safe at any moment, uh, the moment I arrived and I started having a panic attack. But if I, if she was like, if I was breathing too loudly, uh, it didn't matter because they told me it was okay. And if I wanted to step out, it didn't matter because it was okay. And when you took a break, this person took a break with you. And that was like amazing because we, we have worked in theater for years and, and the structure is so... You can't move, you can't breathe, you can't go to the washroom. The or, washroom is against Or it's the like a confrontation when you want to do something different. Like it's a confrontation when you want to walk out. Like you create a scene, but you created a space where it was like welcome and beautiful to do that. It reveals so many more nuances about people because they get to just be and like actually ask for what they want <laughs> and experiment. So I think Cryptoscript is a really cool way to approach theater and I'm really excited for you talking about like implementing this because I it's do you think is I don't know how to formulate but it's like is it possible or, or a lot of companies or theater productions are like it's about the money yeah it's it's a really tricky thing um it's funny I really appreciate what you both said about um it being sort of like a gentle um a gentle space or like a um a welcoming space because that was that was our ultimate goal was to just, you know, we're, we're just doing theater, you know, <laughs> like we may as well, uh, we may as well be comfortable and uh, try to try to make the space a bit more safe for more people, a bit more welcoming for more people. Um, and it's funny, though, because the action of doing that um, in itself is confrontational a little bit. Um, for example, like working in a festival format um, things have to be kind of structured and rigid. That's how it's it's always been done. That's how these um, these things sort of function. And so for me, like something I realized coming into the festival, um, as with most shows in that structure, you you have like 10 minutes to like fully set up and get everything ready and then get backstage. And then the audience has to like load in really fast and then like you're doing the show and the show ends and everyone has to get out because the next show's coming in. Um, and so things like that, um, sometimes we just needed an extra, just like an extra couple of minutes for certain audience members to breathe or for me as a performer to just be able to sort of take a moment before launching into the show. Um, and that's not necessarily a financial thing. It is a little bit, um, but it's also 
a thing that I think if it's thought of early in the process, mm. you can kind of adjust and be like, oh, maybe we need a little bit more time for audience load in. And maybe um, maybe we space shows out just, just a touch more um, in order to accommodate that. There is for sure also, um, also financial elements. But I think those two, it's a little bit of a matter of just like thinking it through in advance. Mm-hmm. A lot of the work that we did was... Um, in terms of audience experience was very much um, sort of troubleshooting in advance, sort of my my benefit of having been someone who goes to theater um, and is disabled is that I was able to be like, oh, some things that I and my friends like experience quite a bit are, you know, issues of like accessing the accessible washroom or knowing where it is, um, knowing where we can wait before a show. And so that were things that it just takes um, it just takes planning mm-hmm. and thinking through and a willingness um, for everyone involved to get on board. I mean, we had a wheelchair cleaning station uh, <laughs> set up mostly because every time I go to a show in the winter and my wheels are all snowy, I get very self-conscious being in a theater space. Yeah. Um, but that's not hard. That's just a brush. That's just a person <laughs> with a brush there. But it's totally thinking about someone's experience that... Uh no one else is doing (laughs) so that's really cool yeah it kind of sounds like the work of thinking ahead and you pushing for that in your show is you doing a lot of confrontation so that the audience doesn't have to yeah and that's a lot of labor (laughs) yes (laughs) yeah Yeah, that is the other side of it um it was all of all of this work and i do like, I truly think that the more of this kind of work that happens, the easier it will get and the the less labor um, that will have to happen. Um, like, for this show, we made a visual story of the audience experience from booking a ticket to coming through the venue with pictures and descriptions of just exactly what to expect and where, um, and also a list of any, like, startles, any startling um elements, a note about the contents, um, just to really give people that outline. But now that that exists, anytime that a show happens at that same theater, um, they can use our template or we can reuse Mm. our own template. um, And all of this work becomes easier, sort of the more that we that we knowledge share and create. um, Yeah, I keep using the word framework, but I think that but that's really what it is. It's yeah. a different way of approaching theater. So, yeah, so it's like script to script can be taken from theater to theater. Yeah, yeah. We've been calling it sort of our framework uh, that we're developing, and connected to it, we're uh, establishing some workshops, and also I'm personally using it as sort of this grounding um, way of doing things that I, everything that I'm kind of doing going forward, I keep going back to the idea of like, how how is this cripping the script? Um, how is the process and the art and the um, experience of engaging with it all done within this kind of framework? Very cool. And you're looking to do some workshops. So we want to develop a, sort of a case study workshop um, of what our process was uh, developing literally titanium because we definitely learned quite a lot. Um, there was a lot of trial and error and playing around. Um, and so we want to 
basically just share um, share what we learned through it. So that's one. Um, and we're also working on uh, a workshop to do with relaxed performance, um, almost like a master class where people can bring in, um, and our first one will be focused on comedy, bringing in uh, comedic sketches, and we'll go through and figure out different ways to to relax the sensory elements of them while still um, maintaining the joke or the uh, point of view or whatever um, whatever's being communicated with that sketch. There's a standard that's been established for relaxed performance. It has to do with um, not having any sudden or startling sound or light cues. Um, so those, those standards are kind of universal across the board, but I think how they affect each medium is a little bit different. Um, for for sketch comedy, uh, as someone who like you know came up in sketch comedy, um, I know that there's a lot of um, a lot of use of sudden uh, sensory elements as punctuating jokes. Um, you know that a sketch is over when the lights go down, and so that's when you're like triggered to clap, um, and usually that happens really suddenly because it kind of punctuates whatever that last joke was of the sketch and triggers you to laugh and uh, have that reaction. Um, And so I think there's a lot of hesitation in sketch to relax, to relax it because it's seen as maybe a lesser form of comedy or of like you would ideally structure something in this way, but if you have to, then you'll take away certain elements and it's like, not quite as good, but, you know, yay inclusion (laughs) or something like that. Whereas I think if we create the space to actually really look at the comedy and the jokes and see where it's coming from, we can structure things in a way that is more inclusive um, on a sensory level and also still still be funny uh, and still be maybe even better than it might have been because it's forced you to really reckon with um, with how you're communicating different things. And I don't think that's unique to comedy. I think there is a stigma in theater in general. Um, I was asked a lot with Literally Titanium uh, whether we were sold out for our regular performances because people only saw Relaxed. Um, and I'd be like, oh, no, 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 no. The whole, the whole run's relaxed. That's just what the show is. I think it comes back to the idea of Crip the Script and um, having it in the process from the beginning is that it doesn't have to be a lesser version of art or a version of a show that different things have been taken away from. It can be the art. Like, it can be it in itself and be wonderful. Yeah. But I also got a really interesting question, two kind of related questions. One was about um, how one can like crip opera, uh, which is really interesting. And another one was about like, what does virtuosity mean within a crip context? That's super interesting. Yeah. What does that mean? I don't understand. So, I mean, it's tricky because I feel unclear about the definition of virtuosity in some ways. But I think it's it's usually used as um, a way to describe like uh, the heights of a craft. Mm. So when you you know being like a virtuoso, being a master um, at the craft, um, and I think both of those things kind of 
reference both of the questions uh, also about how to crip opera reference a very specific um, framework that existed in you know the 1800s essentially this idea that that's what art was um, in opera especially like operas that were written by Mozart you you even Mozart's even told you when to breathe essentially like everything about the opera is planned and scripted and the idea of being an opera singer um, was and still is to a certain extent just like very much mastering those sort of prescribed elements which yeah it's a good question because where does crip fit into that um where does difference and um like how do you open that up but to me i see no reason that we have to prescribe to to that model um and i think the idea of virtuosity or of like um being extremely skilled at something can apply to more than um more than what we think it does like i'm i think like the main thing that i'm practicing is how to do things differently and i hope to like continue to improve and like develop my skills on how to do that and maybe that's its own form of virtuosity yeah like as you try to shift your own definitions of success like what is a successful moment to you right yeah oh such a good question um i mean to me the biggest quote-unquote success um of doing literally titanium was the connections that were made um we had some we had space for people to sort of write thoughts after the show as well um and we got just some really beautiful feedback of um people just saying that the both the show and also the the space that the show afforded really resonated with them and um meant a lot to them and to me those moments of connection i think are the um the biggest i mean what else is there really in terms of when you're trying to communicate something um i think the the biggest success that can come out of that is someone saying like i hear you um i mean that's basically what art is Mm. i think Mm. that's a very different definition because it's way less like self centered it's way more like community centered because if you're like a virtuoso singer it's like oh yes i'm amazing but you're saying like look at this amazing group that i know now like look at these amazing connections and that's definitely a radical shift in perspective yeah where can we find more like if people want to go and do the workshops where can they find you uh so we have a newly created crypt the script facebook page uh, please follow it. That would be great because it's brand new. Uh-huh. Um, and also me personally on Instagram. We're also developing uh, a mailing list. So we'll be sending out emails and we'll have a way to connect to that um, through social media as well. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us and for sharing your reflections on your show. Thank you so much about? for having me. Radio Luna Teatro is produced by Aluna Theater with the support from the Metcalf Foundation, the Late Law Foundation, the Canada Council for the Arts, the Ontario Arts Council, and the Toronto Arts Council. Aluna Theater is Beatriz Pisano and Trevor Schwellness, 
with Sue Ballant and Gia Namens. Radio Aluna Theater is produced by Camila Diaz Varela and Monica Garrido. For more about Aluna Theater, visit us at alunatheater.ca, follow at Aluna Theater on Twitter or Instagram, or like us on Facebook. Follow and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever else you get your podcasts. This podcast is recorded in Toronto, or Dugarondo, the territory of the Anishinaabe Nation, the Wendat Nation, the Haudenosaunee Confederacy, and nations recorded and unrecorded. We are deeply thankful to these nations for stewarding the land so that we might live in peace and respect for each other. As it is outlined in the Dish with One Spoon Wampum, that all people who live here, settlers, indigenous folks, and others, must adhere to. One way to support indigenous stewardship and reclamation of their lives, cultures, and land is to support indigenous liberation movements in whatever capacity you can. Right now, there is urgency around the situation with the Wet'suwet'en Nation in so-called BC. Please support their work to remove the RCMP from their lands. You can make a financial contribution to their camp and legal defense funds. Links are in the show notes. Miigwech and Nyawangoa.